Hello, welcome to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. This is a safe space where mamas can talk openly about their highs and lows of motherhood and to look deeper into who they are as women and their journey into motherhood. We may agree and disagree or cry and laugh, but one thing for sure is we will learn from one another and have a great time. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome to Mamas Know Best. We got something to say. I am so honored that I have um, Mrs. Deborah Lewis on, who is my aunt-in-law. But like I was saying with Masika, your daughter, just before, um, it's still family. <laughs> Even though you are my husband's, Absolutely. you are my husband's aunt. It's been such a pleasure um, just getting to know you know his family and getting to know you. Um, but um, please tell me, uh, you are a midwife. And um, so tell me how you got into midwifery and the start of, yeah, of, of what made you want to become a midwife. Um, well, in a nutshell, when I was very young, my mom did volunteer work with the Red Cross at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I would go with her sometimes. And I just really appreciated the sort of time and care that the nurses provided, you know, the time that they spent with the patients and the care that they provided. And so I decided that I wanted to do nursing. Um, and then during my nursing education, I just absolutely fell in love with the maternity area. Um, but I wanted my practice to be a little bit more independent in that area. So I decided to do midwifery. Okay, so you wanted it to be like a direct, um, like a niche or like not a niche, but a specific area, basically. Exactly. I wanted to be an independent care provider um, because the, the difference with midwives is that we can practice independently, meaning we can provide care for, for our clients throughout the pregnancy, well, even preconception, but primarily throughout the pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, attend the birth, and then take care of the mom and the baby up to six weeks after they give birth. And I really just wanted to focus on that. So I did not just want to provide nursing in that area. Interesting. And I went on to study midwifery. And I also, you know, I also felt. Um, as if I wanted to travel and I wasn't quite sure where I would end up living because my education was all in the United States. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that wherever in the world I ended up, women would be having babies. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. So, you know, you, no, that's very smart. They have babies all over the world. So, and just to kind of go back a little bit. So currently you live in Trinidad, um, but where are you from originally? Because you said you went to school in the States. Where are you from originally? Well, I was originally born in Guyana. Okay. And then my parents moved to Antigua in the Caribbean, and so that's where I grew up. So most of my formative years were there. And then I went to New York in order to continue my education once I finished high school. Okay. Um, and uh, so what is interesting that you had just mentioned, because I, I didn't know this, and I don't know if it still rings true, because how many years are we talking of, of when you went into nursing school? Like, what is this, 25, 30 years ago? Yeah, well, I've been a midwife for 33 years. Wow. And 
a nurse for longer than that. So the nursing program was um, a for a three-year program, and then I did a nursing degree, and then I did midwifery. Gotcha. So it was, it was quite a long process, and then the midwifery program that I attended, um, you have the option of a certificate program or a graduate degree, degree program, and I chose the graduate degree Okay. But um, but I think this was worth it. I mean, I don't regret having taken that route at all. Now I know now because I, I had a midwife for my birth. I do know. I don't think she was a nurse beforehand. Do you think that has helped you, um, or was it well? Was it something required back then? I know you chose it as far as your specific area of expertise. But what were the, um, I guess the not regulations, but um, the requirements back then? It was, it was not required. It was, um, you can, there are two different entry paths to midwifery. Um, one that's called direct entry, which is where you go straight in and do midwifery, or do nursing first and then do midwifery. And the only reason that I did the nursing pathway is because I wasn't as familiar with midwifery. Sure. And it was only when I did nursing that I became exposed to that. Gotcha. I don't think that one is better than the other because our area of focus is so specific. Yeah. Once you do the midwifery education, you know, you practice as a midwife. And, and th this is something that perhaps is, you know, we wouldn't talk a lot about in this podcast, but there are so many discussions around, you know, direct entry midwifery, nurse midwifery, apprentice midwifery, this midwifery. Mm -hmm. But I think midwifery, once you have the core competencies and, and you've accomplished that and you're registered, then we pretty much can practice anywhere because it's such a, a focused area. Sure. Once you have that education. So no, I do not think nursing was necess was a necessary prerequisite. Okay. It's just that that's how my... That, that was your journey into it yes. um so also tell me because i know within the united states um especially going back during that time midwifery wasn't something that was considered or i guess i before i even um say it as something that i i'm assuming in how was the support especially 30 years ago like it was it more normalized than it is now how was that um, it wasn't. I think the struggle, and you know, the, the struggles for midwifery are global. Mm -hmm. um, in the United States, they may have a little bit more peculiar struggles. Yeah. It's really a global struggle. And um, even back then, even over 30 years ago, midwives were really quite low in numbers. Mm-hmm and not fully recognized, and most practiced within a hospital setting. Um, now I think the difference is that we have more midwives who, they're more birth centers, for example, which mm -hmm. would be an out-of-hospital setting. So we have more midwives practicing in those settings and attending home births and that type of thing. Sure. So I, think, I, I think the it's expanded a little bit, but the numbers are still very, very low. In the United States, mm -hmm. midwives account for, I think, 1% of the births. Wow. They're really low numbers. So low, and it's so unfortunate, which that could probably be a whole nother, I mean, a whole nother podcast episode of being, you know, of why it's, you know, not more supported. But I really want to focus on your journey, um, 
I mean, you know, other than getting into specific, because like I said, we could be here for three hours <laughs> um, discussing, you know, because there's it's just such an interesting thing. And, you know, because it isn't normalized and all of that stuff. But um, OK, so you become a midwife. And where now does your life take you? So I, I was in New York at the time. So I worked in New York for a short period as a midwife. Mm-hmm. And then um, and in that period, I got married to someone who's from Trinidad. And I think um, the winters in New York were beginning. <laughs> and so my ultimate dream was to move to a place where I used to say the temperature never goes below 80 degrees. Nice. So, so it worked out that you found an island man and you were able to move back to an island. That's right. <laughs> so I moved back. To, so I did work for, for a short period in New York as a midwife, and, which I also think was important to get the experience. Mm-hmm. And then I moved back to Trinidad. And since moving back to Trinidad, I worked um, when I first got here in an out-of-hospital setting. Um, with a midwife-led center, which eventually closed. Mm-hmm. And then about 13 years ago, five of us, five midwives got together and we opened our own birth center, which is midwifery-led and freestanding. So it's non-connected um, to a hospital. We have affiliations, but it's not connected. And so that's where I've worked for the past um, 13 years. Of your own birthing and center. I'm still a practicing midwife. I'm one of the founders and the director. So I have uh, administrative responsibilities with my passion. And what I don't know and I'll ever stop doing it. <laughs> still as a practicing midwife where I attend, you know, mm-hmm. visits and births and all of that. So now you've probably been to over, do you know how many births you've been to? No, you know, I stopped counting. I'm sure. Thousands. I'm sure. I stopped counting. Um, and I would love to discuss like some of your memory, like how. Okay, well, I guess we can we can go a little bit back. So when you first started it, and obviously, you know, you you um, chose midwifery because it was something that was very. Um, you just you know enjoyed learning about it and and wanting to um, be there for the moms and that sort of you know side of I guess the medical field. Um, but when you came to, or I guess even in, in New York, how was it experiencing like your first natural birth? Like how was that seeing a mother go through labor? Because just quickly to mention, I know in the United States, OBGYNs aren't necessarily, when they're going to school, they don't have to have the experience of going to an actual birth. You know, a lot of it is just more, um, I guess on the scientific book level things. So you actually had to go and experience birth firsthand and actual go to birth how was that for you the first time you you did that and you were there to be for him be there for a mom yeah and you know just before i answer that i want to say that in an ideal world midwives would take care of all of the normal low-risk pregnant women with sure because that's really our area of expertise sure and then it would be a team so that at the first sign of any sort of complications or if there were pre-existing conditions then we would refer to the obstetrician of course and that would be like you said a perfect word and my midwife has said that as well she's like you know if we could only work together with the hospitals with the normal low-risk pregnancy she was like it would be such a match made in heaven 
Exactly, exactly. Unfortunately, that doesn't always happen. Yeah. That, that is the ideal. So, so yes, our focus is really normal, natural birth without any complications. And I still remember the first birth that I attended. But you know what, Nicole? I still remember as well the last birth that I attended. <laughs> mm-hmm. Each one is so special. Like, that's the only birth of that baby that yeah. happened for that family. I know. Each of them is so special. And yes, I remember the first one and that feeling, but I still get that feeling. That's awesome. It's, it's such a moment when that baby is born for that family that you become, and you know, yes, you have to maintain um, a certain level of objectivity and all of that. And mm-hmm. Your brain remains focused on what your role is. Sure. Because you have to be aware and conscious and, you know, take action if necessary and all of that. But it's such a moment that just forever lives in my head. That's and, which is why I can't stop doing <laughs> and, and that's so wonderful. I mean, I could hear the passion in your voice, which is why this is something that you've been doing, obviously, for over 30 years, because it's something that you love. And I feel like I just wish more women... Um, kind of had experiences where it was like that because it's not necessarily just a profession for you it's a calling it's something like you like you described it birth is it's a miracle it's a you know it's a rite of passage it's it's what our bodies were meant to do and you know it's like you're honored to be there that's what it feels like like you're just honored to be at every birth from you know no matter what it is you know Yes, I mean, the last birth that I did, um, when the family was leaving, I said, thank you. And they said, thank you. Why are you thanking me? We didn't do anything. I said, yes, you were here, you were present, you were supportive. That's awesome. You know? and, and, and then I thanked the parents when they were leaving. And again, they, and I said, thank you for choosing us and thank you for having me present. It, it really feels like an honor. Um, and I think that to, it, too often we don't recognize the importance of that moment. It's the beginning of a family. It's the beginning of that child's life. It's, mm-hmm. such, it's such a momentous occasion in the family's existence. Yeah, no, sure. Um, it- and I, I think we don't pay enough attention to it. I don't think we give it the the sort of importance that it's really Yeah, the importance and just the... Yeah, that's... Yeah, I think it's almost... I can't even think of the words, but I guess that's a good one. Just the importance of how and how amazing it really truly is. It's not only the birth of a child, but the birth of a mom. I feel like we don't even realize afterwards what we've accomplished. What Then I feel like you get this sense of, like, wait a minute, I just gave birth. I can do anything now. That's right. You know, I know it took me some time, but I finally reached that point where I'm like, wait a minute, I gave birth. Anytime I even feel like I'm tired or anything, I'm like, hello, you gave birth. You're, you got this. You can do this. Um, so I want to quickly, um, so you're also a mom. So tell me what your birth experience like was with Masika. Well, you know, when Masika was born, I had been a midwife for several years already, but I did not have any sort of clue about what my labor and birth would be like. Mm. I, knew, I knew what I'd like it to be. Sure. But, but really, there are no guarantees. No. Um, and so labor started, and I thought, oh, yeah, okay, great. This feels pretty serious. <laughs> what it feels like to women when I tell them it's just the beginning of it <laughs> and you have a long way to go, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I actually remember trying to exa- do a vaginal exam on myself. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I 
to see how far along I was because I didn't. I was going. I was going into the birth center to get birth. I actually tried. I had just moved to Trinidad. Sorry, for, I have to go back. Yeah. I had just moved to Trinidad, and so I was not able to find someone to attend the birth at home. Mm, okay. And in addition, I had started working at this midwife-led center, and so everyone, they were, became like family. Yeah, yeah. So I was going in there, but I didn't want to go in too early and spend hours there, so I tried to do the vaginal exam to see how far along <laughs> I my head. I was pretty sure it was far along, but you know, I don't know, it was my first time. Yeah, sure. I'd never, I, I knew a lot of things in theory. But I had never actually experienced it myself. Which is different for everybody, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So eventually, um, her dad said to me, I really think we should go. And I said, okay, but I just need to do a couple of things. And I, and I was like fixing things in the closet and, and just <laughs> delaying my brain. I thought, I really don't want to get there. And they tell me that it's still early. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, anyway, when I got there, I was in the second stage and pushing and couldn't even help myself pushing. And they said, what are you doing? And I said, I don't know, but I can't stop. <laughs> um, and she was going very quickly after we got there. So, um, so that was my experience. But um, I have to say, so labor and birth, yes, the postpartum period. I found was the most challenging. Mm. And so as a result, you know, your experiences influence you. Sure. And so as a midwife, I've found since giving birth that I spend a lot of time talking to moms about that immediate postpartum period. Mm. Because for me, that was my challenging period. Mm-hmm. Because I felt so good. Um, that I wanted to just get up and do things and not rest and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. just be moving around and I remember one day I walked into the bathroom and I saw myself in the mirror and I thought wow yeah yeah I, mean, I, I looked awful mm-hmm. I really looked bad and then I think I realized you know like you are not listening to some of the stuff that you've told women mm-hmm. um, and so therefore I became even more conscious of how I counsel women and I ask them to bring their families in mm-hmm. so that everyone hears the same thing. That's awesome. Um, I, I now really spend a lot of time on focus talking about that immediate postpartum period and how important it is to rest and what you need help with. And so that's become, you know, one of my priority areas it's crazy because you would think that that would be something that has always been there but just recently now i see articles and things online of saying how scientists are looking how the mom's brain does change and i'm like really we're in 2019 you're just now doing science of seeing how a mom's brain does truly change after giving birth like but it's just something that was never really focused on and i also agree with you i think the postpartum is probably the most difficult because yeah, you have you know some pregnancies if it's high risk and if there are some pre-existing conditions, but it's still your you know okay you have some um, what do you call it morning sickness and things like that. But postpartum nobody knows what to expect because it's different for every woman. That's right. 
That's right. And that's why I feel like you have support. It's still a lot. You know, there's sort of a standard line that I use and then I add other things depending on the individual. Mm-hmm. But I say you've been through nine months of pregnancy, which may have been an amazing pregnancy with no sure. But then you had labor, then you gave birth to a baby, now your body is trying to recover from that, may produce breast milk for the baby, yep. and still continue its day-to-day functioning yes. a lot. Yes. And then the hormonal shifts and changes and up and down. It's a lot to deal with. It is. It really is a period that you have to focus on. It is, and and I'm a perfect example of that. Oh, and me and Masika, when we talked, you know, we both had really good pregnancies. You know, um, I didn't have even much morning sickness. Um, I, I was good, even my labor and delivery. I think I labored for eight hours, and I remember my midwife being like, "Wow, that's really." Just, you know, she's like, that's abnormal because most first-time births can be anywhere from 12 hours to 30-something hours. So afterwards, I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, you and my midwife helping me with my breastfeeding issues. And then this postpartum anxiety came, overwhelming came. And I didn't, I just didn't expect that because you're assuming your birth went well, your labor went well, everything went well, that your postpartum recovery is going to be the same. But after you give birth, you just become a different one. Everything just changes. It's just like snap and it's it just changes. Yes. yes. Um, and, and we don't pay enough attention to that. You know, even if we look at, if we use the U.S. as an example, there are other countries that are better. But the, the maternity leave that yes. women get, it's outrageous that yeah. four weeks maternity leave, you know. we You need so much more than that. In the Caribbean, where I am, we get... The, the lowest, if there's a range, but the lowest is about 14 weeks, mm-hmm. uh, which is the minimum, really, I think. That yeah. And I still even think that that's not enough because three months, like I remember going back to work after three months and, and being like, no, I need at least, I feel like a year to me. Yes. Yes. Because I, I just feel like a year is a good amount. And even still, some look, I'm still dealing with certain things, but I know I'm much, much better than what I was. And my son is two years, but I feel like a year would, you know, was I was learning to really kind of navigate my shifting as a wife, my shifting as who I was. Um, so three months isn't, but it's much better than the United States because we're just now getting maternity leave um like laws passed where companies have to give it. We still have companies who don't give maternity leave. Mm. You know. And when they do, it's four weeks. Six weeks if you've had a cesarean, which is major surgery. Exactly. Four weeks if you've had a vaginal birth, which uh, there's just no way that anyone's recovered in four weeks. No. It's a full-time job. No, and it's actually very sad when you think about it. And also very, even empower. it's sad in the sense of, yes, because that, that support isn't there, but it's also freaking empowering because you think of all the mothers that have to get up and do it, and we make it work every single day regardless of, what it is that we are going through you know um in that short amount of time of being like all right well we got to put you know we got to <laughs> we got to do it figure it out and and make it work you know and get it done. But then i think what happens is that that's why we see an increase in, in postpartum depression and for that's sure why we have reduced breastfeeding rates which yes lead to children that get sick more often oh it's then it becomes snowball effect that's true that's a really good point because then the domino effect of everything else that comes from that which if from the beginning we took the care and consideration into the moms that really need to recover then maybe some of these other issues wouldn't be so prevalent 
No, I, I think I think it would help. Exactly. Um, okay, so so to go back, so you have your birth center. Um, when did you become? And I know I'm probably going to mess up the title, but I know. Um, you're part of the midwifery association or you had when did it become um that you uh, i guess became more involved in not just being a midwife within in, in trinidad but that you know you joined an organization or is that something that you just did from the beginning because you know you wanted to be a part of the group of, of what your um, profession was um, no, well, again, in a nutshell, there there was no professional association mm. for midwives at the time in Trinidad and Tobago. Okay. Um, midwives were members of the Nurses Association. Mm-hmm. Um, may not have had full voting rights. Okay. We were not also nurses. Ah. Like I said we have midwives who are not yes. Yes. And so um, a group of us got together and decided to form a professional midwifery association here. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then from that, we, we have, you know, big aspirations. No, that's awesome. We decided that we would become a member of the Global Organization for Midwives, which is the International Confederation of Midwives that's based in the Netherlands. Okay. So we became a member association of that, and then um, eventually I ran for a board position on the Global Organization, and I was successful. So I became the board member representing the Americas region, which is North America, the Caribbean, and Latin America. Okay. Um, and then eventually I became the vice president of that organization. Amazing. And then I, I stepped down because I could not, because I was running the birth center, I could not commit to the presidency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did not um, stay for the second term as a vice president because that would sort of um, infer that I was in sure willing to be considered. <laughs> if there would be elections, yeah, I would be willing to be considered, and I couldn't. I couldn't do both well. Sure. I one or both would suffer. Yeah, something would suffer. So I stepped down, but you know the affiliation with the global organization really was quite um, an experience for me. It allowed me to travel, but it also allowed me to see the strength of midwifery and helped us a lot to really build and develop midwifery. Firstly, in Trinidad and Tobago, and then eventually we also started a Caribbean regional midwifery organization. So now that my current focus is more regional, I am still involved with the global mm-hmm. on one of their committees, but my focus really is the Caribbean because this is where I live and we need a lot of work with midwifery. Well- um, for women and their families, so we started the regional organization, and that's where I'm more involved now. Of building that, and uh, is and um, uh, refresh my memory, and also to tell all the listeners, you are the only birthing center in the. We're the only birthing center in the English-speaking Caribbean. Wow. Um, the only other ones that exist in Haiti. So wow. There, was no other. there was one in Barbados, mm-hmm. um, but it closed several years ago, and there is no other, and we're the only one that offers water births as an option. Wow. That's pretty, it's, it's, 
uh, that that's awesome, you know, but it's also kind of like, wow, that it's the only one within the, in, you know, the English speaking, um, Caribbean. And do you have people that come from other countries to want to come to your birth center and are they allowed? Yes, we've had people from several other countries. Actually, this week, I even had someone from Antigua ask mm. if um, it was possible or if it was only for residents of Trinidad and Tobago. We're open to everyone because we are, well, even the public health care system here, you know, anyone can give birth. Mm-hmm. But we are open and we, at our core, one of the values is that Anyone who wants our care, who wants delivery care, and who wants to give birth with us should be able to access the care once they meet our criteria. So we are not limited by, you know, where you're, where you're, we're not limited by if you can afford to pay or not, because we do have fees. Mm -hmm. However, what we did is we set ourselves up as a non-profit organization so that we could access funding. Mm-hmm. To, to be able to support women who maybe their income doesn't allow them to pay, you know, the full amount so they can make a reduced payment. Sure. Because again, absolutely, you should be able to access our care whether you can pay for it or not. Of course, you don't want to have any um, limitations in, especially when it comes to, as you said earlier, the most important time in a woman's life. That's right, that's right. So if they decide that they want to have our care, we want to just work with them to figure out how to make it happen. So to go back to your original question, yes, we've had people from Antigua, since Lucia, Guyana, we've had from several islands that have come to give birth with us. That's beautiful. Um, so to go into um, you saying that now you're heading the regional um, portion of the um, Midwifery Association of the Caribbean, correct? Right, that's your focus. That's my focus. I'm not um, on the executive anymore. I just, I really sort of support them. So what are what are your guys' initiatives? What's really important to you, or I guess I should say, what are you guys? What is what are your goals with this um, regional association? Um, I suppose ultimately it's strengthening midwifery, mm-hmm. so that we can we can provide the midwifery model of care to women and their families, which would absolutely be more respectful care than they currently get. Mm-hmm. Um, because generally in the region, the model of care is very medicalized. Sure. So that there are high interventions. I was going to say high invasive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And in many countries, women don't even have the option of a birth outside of a hospital. So they do not have the option of having their babies at home. There's just no one available to support that. Mm -hmm. So it's within the hospital, quite often separated from even their partners because partners are not routinely allowed to be present. Um, Through the Caribbean Regional Association, we just did a survey on respectful maternity care in this region. And, um, and it's pretty poor. We have a lot of work to do. Um, so the, that's one of the primary areas we're focused no, on. No, that's, that's a very big area because I feel like, again, in 2019, the fact that women don't have that choice, it's just devastating because... Yeah, they, they don't have a choice of place of birth. They, they rarely even have a choice of provider. They absolutely don't have a choice of position to be mm. in and to sure. be in. 
um, many countries the babies are still separated and put in a nursery. Wow. So we really do have um, so things that especially you because of your experience with a home birth mm-hmm. right, that you consider the norm. Yes. Um, the majority of the citizens in this region are not even aware of that option. Well, funny enough, you know, obviously I'm very thankful of being in the United States and having the freedom of choice. But I think our issue here is not necessarily that we don't have the freedom, right? Because we we do, but it's that a lot of women don't feel like they're capable um, and they don't know much about it. So what's interesting here that um, my husband and I were realizing is with the Medicare system, and I think it's Medicare, I always get Medicare, Medicaid, but either way, the... um, you know, the insurance that that is paid for for low-income families, they're actually trying to push the mothers into midwifery because the state doesn't want to have to pay for the hospital care of the mom. So they're actually pushing them to midwifery. But what they're not realizing is that is is the better option for a low... uh, for low risk, normal, not necessarily better option because I, I don't, I don't like to go for the bad either because I feel like a woman should be able to to choose whatever hospital or home and not to say one is better than the other. So I, I don't necessarily want to say that, but. Um, to have, you know, that less invasive, um, you know, non-medicated, just to have that option. So in the United States, they're actually pushing moms towards that because they don't want to pay for the hospital costs. Right, because it's much, it's much more cost-effective. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But that's just crazy that they're thinking they're doing an injustice by being like, oh, let's send them to these midwives. But it's like, um, that's actually not a bad thing. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but, you know, whatever, however it works, let's get more people to access military care. Absolutely. Um, so tell me with your global, I know you had mentioned, and I, I want to kind of get into that of you saying, um, obviously you being on a global, um, uh, I guess a global, um, not status, but of, you know, being speaking with people from the Netherlands and people from all over around the world. What can you say, you know, um, and not, I guess in a nutshell, but what can, what have you realized in conversing with these other midwives? You know, like what have you learned from from other midwives from around the world? Um, I think the primary thing that I've learned is that um, midwifery in traditional cultures. So if you go way back in history and you look at things, it's midwives that provided care. Oh yeah. Um, women gave birth in upright positions with midwives, you know, and that changed over the years. And I think that's true throughout most of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is that midwives lost a lot of their autonomy. Mm. That midwives practice is no longer autonomous and independent. They've lost a lot of the respect that they used to have. So, and this is really a global phenomenon. There are a few countries in Europe where midwifery is still very well respected, and you know the, their roles are very clear. But generally, throughout the, the rest of the world, it's not. And so, the global organization really has a focus. So, they developed. Um, standards for midwifery education and okay. gotcha. to try and, and, and bring the standard up so that wherever somebody says they're a midwife, you know what their competencies are. And that's because awesome. Also what happened in some countries in an attempt to just reduce um, increased numbers of staff is that they reduced the standards of the training, of the education. Oh, wow. So, 
Yeah, so they're, they're now, you know, and they all end up calling them midwives, but sometimes the training really is subpar. Mm-hmm. And so the focus of the global organization really is bringing it up the standard, but also just generally um, re-educating people about the role of midwives and what a vital role they play. Um, to reduce the really high rates that there are of maternal and newborn death. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean, it's very oh. well documented how midwifery care can contribute to the reduction. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's a big thing in the United States because the United States, I believe, from the article I read, its statistics, if I'm correct, is that in um, the United States has the highest um, infant and um, mother... Um, death rate um, during birth in the in the developed countries yeah the, the united states is not doing very well at all yeah and, and it's even more so among women of color yes yes so the rates are even higher in the united states so the united states you know the care the medical care is certainly anyway in maternity is not Let me ask, why do you feel there's been a change in that? Because you were saying of what it used to be. Why do you feel there's been a change globally? Like, what do you think is the cause of that? Is it money? Is it because, you know, the hospital, you know, insurance? Like, what what is it? Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think that we we now have more medical practitioners trained, mm-hmm. so they've sort of taken over some of the roles of midwives. I think it is money, certainly in oh, money, yeah. practices, it is money. Yeah. Um, and and also because midwifery is primarily a woman's profession yeah i think there's also gender issues of course so just it's this yeah so the combination yeah um but that's awesome of what you guys are are doing and i know you did a ted talk and you spoke briefly about it about how um in the um, caribbean there are some instances where even the partner isn't allowed or you know the the father of the child um why don't you um talk briefly about your ted talk in and, and what that was about like what your main focuses in your awareness um, for that? Um, well, when I was asked to do the TED Talk, um, because I'm a midwife, people sort of expected me to talk about, I don't know, women, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that type of thing. So I wanted to do something a little bit different, but I also wanted to talk about that because it is really another area that one of my peeps, is the fact that a man, a father, is not allowed, and I say allowed in quotation marks, to be present for the birth of his child. I think that, like, I, I can't even. Understand yeah, you, there's not. There's. You can't even fat. Like, I couldn't even fathom Jaren not. Like, that's just. It's just something that you're like, huh? That happens. Like, that's just it, crazy to even think of. Yes, it is. It is. You know, and then. We complain that we have a lot of absent funds, yes. but, but we are sort of contributing to that. So I decided to do my talk on that because it was also um, many years that we had been sort of lobbying here in Trinidad and Tobago for, for partners to be allowed in for the birth. Mm-hmm. Because up until then, in all of the public hospitals, women were not allowed to have anyone with them, no one. Wow. They by the door and they went in and gave birth and then you visit during visiting hours. That's so sad. Wow. 
it was really sad. And so for years, through the Midwives Association and so on, we, we've been lobbying to get those policies changed. Mm -hmm. And we did begin to see very slowly little changes. Um, and now, you know, I'm happy to say that there have been big changes. Still not ideal, um, but big changes. At the time that I did the talk, we had, there were small changes, but in order to be allowed and he had to do classes and he had to have a certificate showing that he had done the classes and then he forgot the certificate and couldn't oh my gosh and then he was only allowed it for the actual birth wow so you would know imagine the labor yes higher labor with no support wow i mean the staff is there but they you don't yeah, but no, you. They don't have time to, you know. No, it's not the same as having your partner there that you created this child with and robbing them of that experience. That's so heartbreaking. It is, and and so I just decided to. I, I was given that opportunity, and that's what I wanted to really publicize. Amazing. The injustice. Yeah. Of this, and hoping that that would give you know another big nudge to getting them to change. The sure, and bringing it to light because again, I being in the United, you just assume like, oh yeah, I mean, you know, there's, yeah, of course, without realizing like, wait, no, this is still going on. You know, they're still, you know, having these issues. So even bringing light to it, you know, I think is, is important and kudos to you guys for your fight to have, you know, look, even a little, a little change is, is something. So that's, that's amazing. Yes, as long as we, you know, baby steps. Yeah, no. We're happy to see any changes and there has been significant um, progress now. Um, so now, so that's also what one of the things that's included in the respect for maternity care initiative regionally. Okay. Um, okay. Well, and, and that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I feel like in these kind of situations where um, you're trying to make any legal changes, it's a marathon. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, you feel like giving up. Of course. Along that way. Ruin when you think, oh, I'm never gonna make what I was the point. I know. Yeah. So, and then you have one person that is that thanks you so much. Yeah. Uh, because they were able to attend the birth, and they're just so blown away with the experience, and you see that bond that is created within that family. And all yeah. That. that just gives you the juice to keep going. For sure, it's the small. It really is. It's you know cliche to say, but it's like if even if you touch one person and makes a difference in one person's life it really is worth it you know because you know it is going to be more than one it might not be the million, millions and millions that you want it to be but it really truly is you know a marathon and you celebrate those small wins just as much you know yes yeah so what do you feel um is the biggest misconception about midwifery and i want you to kind of talk about it i i spoke a little bit um i did an episode on my home birth story um and i tried to keep it short and sweet i didn't get into too many specifics as far as like my feelings as far as like against OBGYN and midwife it was just really truly just you know from beginning to end my my kind of story with it but what are some misconceptions um if you would please kind of clear up that people have a midwifery and they might be like, huh, why would you choose a midwife or why would you go that, that direction instead of going through a traditional, you know, um, OBGYN way. Right. And I think it's because 
because over the years, you know, people become pregnant and they think that they have to see a doctor. And we're seeing, midwives are seeing as the second best thing. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can't afford a doctor, then maybe you go to a midwife. But everybody wants to be able to talk about the doctor that they're seeing. Sure. Um, so what, what we spend a lot of time doing is really sensitizing the public um, about the role of a midwife <coughs> and, and that the midwife actually is very well educated and competent to care for a woman throughout her entire pregnancy. From beginning to end. From beginning to end, as long as there are no complications. If there are any complications, then we are also educated to recognize that mm -hmm. and refer appropriately. But um, people just, re you know, sometimes I meet people and they say, What do you do? And I say, Midwife. And they say, Those people still exist. <laughs> Those people still. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was like somebody. Like my grandparents. Yes, well, because that's when it was. Yeah, that's the mystery. Yeah. yeah. Everybody goes to an obstetrician when they get pregnant. So I think it's, uh, you know, I think I mentioned somewhere earlier, it's sort of a whole re education of the public. Mm -hmm. Yes, midwives still do exist. We're highly trained, highly competent to care for Loris women. And we can, in fact, see you for your entire pregnancy, attend the birth, take care of you after. There's absolutely no need to see an obstetrician unless there's some sort of abnormality. Oh, yeah, pre-existing condition or some issue with it. Um, um, in going with that, I remember one of the things I had heard as far as the misconception was, what if the umbilical cord is tied around the baby's neck? And I was like, I mean, and I remember I was scared of that too. Yeah, there's a long list of myths about, and, and then people feed into that, you know, they say, oh, you know, it's a cord, like the baby could have died. You know, yes. such a high percentage of births where the baby's cord is around the neck. Um, because one of the things that when you're trained that you do is when the baby's head is born, immediately you check around the neck. Of course. Of because it is such a common occurrence. I remember you told me that in all the years that you've been a midwife, you've only had to, if I remember, cut it once that because it was too tight? Yes, maybe once. I mean, otherwise you just, you can loosen it and slip it over the head or it goes back over the shoulders as the baby comes out. It's such a normal occurrence. It's yeah. so long. How do you not think that it wouldn't, you know, it's when you had explained it to me in the mind, I was like, oh my God, it's so true because it's so long. It's probably wrapped around them now. It's just a part of what it, it's been there from the, from the beginning of time. So it just is what it is. <laughs> Yes, and so now, you know, you have people recommending ultrasounds when you're close to your due date to see if the cord is... Oh, boy. Because then maybe you need to do a cesarean. No, no, no. Wow. Not necessary. There would have to be some other signs of something. Sure. Being normal, not simply just that. That is really such a normal thing, you know, and... And, and, and people begin to to believe yes. that well, a lot of these things are true, and that you have so you have to you have to have you know the intravenous fluids because you can't even drink when you're in labor. You yeah. Have to do this and you have yes. To do 
Yeah, um, and again, I, that could be a whole nother topic, and maybe that would be something if you'd be interested in doing is saying of why do you think I'd love to get other midwives as well of why, like that's science, right? They learn why would that change if we know that women can drink? Why would they come up and say is it because they do really want the cost because they want to charge you for the IV? Do they want to? You know, like you would hope that they'd have some other reason, but I can't help but think that it, it's for their own monetary, because why else would you think to just give me an IV when I can drink and eat something that is probably better for me, you know? You know, they used to say that um, in the event that you needed a cesarean section, which is major surgery, which is really a low percentage of women, then they wanted to have your stomach empty. But it's the acidity of the stomach contents that could be a problem if they go into your lungs. So they can just give you some medication to neutralize the acid. But then it's almost... There is anything. And you don't even have to be put to sleep to have a cesarean. And anyway, we do too many cesareans. Oh, yeah. That's what... That could be a whole nother episode, yeah. But yeah. you know, they, they justify why things are done, but really it's just the, the and the first intervention just leads to another. For sure. And I think I, what's even sad with that is it's almost like they're like, well, they're gonna probably have to have a C-section anyway, so let's just give them the drugs. That's almost what it is instead of believing that a woman can do it or want they're like oh, she's probably gonna need it anyway so why and I, I that probably is it's probably why they thought they're like well probably gonna lead or if not let's just be safe give her the IV and let's just do it that way instead of doing it away or the no, I don't want to say the proper way but the way that is just the natural way you know they they yes. they want to um be invasive um again going back to with this woman's you know most important time of her life instead of giving her the choice and the options to say well i want to do it this way or that way um because all of those things have a role yes they're important if they're necessary yes and i think that's the biggest thing but we, we overuse them and that's where you know then the challenges arise correct and i think because it's been normalized in the um, th that really should be the exception to the rule, right? The exception to the rule would be, okay, well, let's, if it's necessary, but because we've normalized all of those things that aren't really necessary, now that's become the norm and it's like the normal, well, the natural way, which is the way God intended us to be, has become the um, the weird or the, wait, what? You're going to have a natural birth? What? Wait, you're not going to have drugs? Exactly. I don't think you're going to be able to do it. Yes. Oh, that's all. And... That's the seeds of self begin to be planted, and you know. Yeah, and that um, that's I know happens a lot here in the United States. I had my cousin, and I felt so bad for her. Um, I think she was the one who told me she or she had said, "Oh no, 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 I'm sorry, it was my friends." Um, anyway, a woman had said that she wanted to have natural, 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 and the nurse was like, "You'll, you'll want the epidural," and she's like no and finally she did because her partner didn't really know so he's like well just take it and she eventually gave in but she didn't want it but the nurse was like i told you i told you you'd have it and i'm like that is horrible yeah. that you didn't even have that support um okay so you know so you talked about the big the biggest misconception um you talked about having the education i think not only the education um but also the to have the experience. I know you've been to over a thousand. Like you can't teach that. That's like invaluable. That's something that, like I know with midwife, my midwife, my midwife knew by the sound of my breathing when I was ready to push. Like that was like phenomenal to me. Like she didn't even like. I remember my mom was like, "Was well, she gonna check if you're dilated?" And I'm like, "Ma, it's like really non-invasive. Like they really just let me 
you know, they let my body. My mom was like, wow. And she knew I was ready to push before I knew I was ready to push. She was like, I think you can push now. I'm like, really? And then sure enough, Jace came like 20 something minutes later. And that was just like, I was in awe, you know, that you guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, it's just allowing it. Um, oh, that's amazing. And I feel like this is a, a conversation that can go on and on of just about women, you know, empowerment and women um, in birth um, and, you know, going specific details. But I want to fast forward because now you are a grandma. <laughs> and, um, you know, in talking with Masika, you know, you were her midwife, um, but, you know, she had said when it came down to birth, you then became her mom and, you know, had another midwife there to help deliver the baby. How has grandmahood been for you? It's been amazing. Everything they say about <laughs> parents is true. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then more. Um, as a midwife, you know, when Masika became pregnant, I really... Um, worked at not trying to influence them in any of their decisions. Yeah. Um, of course, if she didn't choose to go for care, I'd probably have you know, a minus stroke. <laughs> but, uh, but I really tried not to influence them. I, I wanted them to make their decisions. Yeah. Um, I did do most of the visits during the pregnancy mm-hmm. and then periodically ask her to see someone else. Um, but at the birth, I did not. Um, well, you know, ethically, it's not really the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I also didn't want to be the midwife. I wanted to allow myself space to also be for the grandma. Sure. Uh, so I got one of my friends, but um, as he was about to be born, as he was coming out, my friend looked at me and she said, Debbie, you go ahead and, you know, let your hands touch him first, not mine. That must have been the most magical experience. It was so magical, just, and you know, the way we, we do it, and, and it would be what you experience is, you know, the baby comes out and you put it over on top of the mom's yeah. um, chest and tummy. Mm-hmm. And it was just so, and then I, I, um, I think a few minutes at once I knew he was okay, I left the room because then I shifted back to grandma more and everybody, he's Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? um, so it was really quite an interesting experience, the shift. Yeah. And I definitely did shift throughout the labor and the birth back and forth. I would go into my life more and come back out of it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, so it was quite interesting. And now, um, as he's growing, it just, I'm like, okay, the only times that my midwifery self kicks in is if he's ill or he has a, a cut or Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a medical card kicks in, but otherwise, I totally enjoyed being a grandmother and it really is true. I remember when he was younger, my daughter said to me one day, she said, so wait a minute, do you absolutely believe that he should never, ever, ever cry? And I said, yeah. Aww. Yes. And I said, But let me ask, how... how has it been, and I'm sure it is different than Masika, because with me, I'm like that, I, or I was like that with Jace. Like, I, I couldn't hear him cry. It made me so sad. Um, but how was the shift from how you were when you were a mom and being a grandma? Like, were you more like, um, 
okay, well, we got to do this. And, you know, it's okay. She's crying. She's a baby. And with him, of course, you're like, no, I don't want to hear him cry. I can't see him in pain. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think I probably was a little bit like that with her anyway, but certainly I felt okay for babies to cry sometimes. I mean, I know she's there's nothing wrong. Yes, of course. So that's okay, but but not with him. Yeah, no, I know. You're like, nope. I that's my dad my mom's a little bit you know of course she's fine but my dad is like I don't want to hear him cry and I'm like dad like if he doesn't get his way and I'm like daddy it's okay to tell him no and he's like no I can't I don't want to hear it. just give it to him and I'm like oh boy um and you know it's, the, it's where sometimes the seeker gives me actually gives me a little almost stern lecture <laughs> Yes. 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 Yeah, no, and it has to be some kind of balance. He's absolutely right. It's so funny because my mom and Jaren's mom, they're both really the stern ones. My dad is like the mush, and it's just so funny to see because my dad was really stern of us growing up, like really, really hard rules. Not hard rules, but, you know, just, you know, it's the dad. So you're always like, oh, my gosh, it's, it's you know, I don't want to get in trouble or yelled at or whatever by my dad. But now he's like completely mush, and I'm like, dad, there has to be balance. He still has to follow rules, you know. <laughs> You know, they can't just be free for all. Um, what has, um, I usually go through towards the end, um, like some kind of like questions of getting to know. So we know you're a midwife, you know, you're a mom, you're a grandma now, but I like to go a little bit um, deeper into the moms and just asking some like really cool, um, fun questions. Um, but I want to ask, usually I say, what has motherhood shown you? But what has being a grandma shown you that maybe is different than what motherhood show, showed you? Um, I think that I, I don't know what the explanation is, but I think that children now of, of this generation are so different, mm -hmm. um, and because the world is They're different, yeah, so different. Sure, and sure. I think it's really important to um, allow them to be independent and strong because you are not always going to be there and the reality is they're gonna to have to deal with that world out there that's that needs a strong person yeah we can't be there to protect them 24 7. no and i think that's something that you know i've, I've had to come to expect that no you i cannot he will climb and he will do things and you just cannot be there to protect them physically emotionally all the time so you have to give them the room and give them the space and allow them to um, grow and learn from themselves I think and, and giving a foundation to so that they can have the tools to yeah. figure out the things on their own yeah it's so yeah, true. You give them a really firm foundation. It's so um, true. And then you have to, you know, as the saying goes, let them go. Yeah, I know. And I've just seen that so clearly with it as a grandmother. I think as a parent, I still would have been trying to do it. <laughs> like, 
Sure. Sure. I don't feel confident that I actually put it into practice, but certainly. <laughs> oh gosh, Masika is such a, a great um, woman. You've done. You and Derek have done a phenomenal job. But no, as a parent, you do. You have those thoughts. You're like, did I? Did I not? But it's interesting to have your perspective as a grandma now, on almost like an outsider because she's not your child. No, he's not. He's not. Even though he's connected to you because that's your daughter's child. But I'm sure, like you said, now looking is like, no, he really does need that independence. I can't yes, be I, there. And I definitely do, do not want to be a grandparent that interferes. Yeah. And, and um, tries to, you know, they're the parents, so they have to do it the way they um, feel is best. And, and, you know, again, you... I'm available for, for any sort of discussion or if they want it. Sure. I really will not, you know, try not to interfere. I feel like it's almost like an, obviously I'm not a grandparent, I'm just a parent, but it's almost full circle, right? So then you hope that you've instilled in your children or your child the route foundation for that when they have their own children. But the difference is, like you said, we're in 2019, so you had Masika over 25 years ago, so times have changed. So now they're, we're trying to navigate, myself included, in a whole new way, you know? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll get into some fun questions now. When, um, it's funny, I, I, asked, uh, I asked all my moms, and it's gonna be interesting asking you, but when do you feel the most badass? <laughs> When do you feel the most that you're like, I got this, I'm, I'm, I'm awesome? Like, when do you feel like you feel so accomplished and you're just like, you know what, I, I'm, I'm the bomb. I'm amazing. Um. <laughs> That's what I was like. I usually, ask, you know, so I wanted to hear your, your answer on this. <laughs> um, because it's, it's been such a challenge, because we're talking about my free. Yes, yes. It's been such a challenge um, setting up this bird center without, you know, full support from all around, from other providers, from my colleagues. It's just, it's been a challenge in many areas. So, um, whenever we have something, a client or something, like we had one recently, and she was told at another institution that. You know, she would never have the baby vaginally. The baby was too big and she would need a C-section. Mm. And we said, well, maybe, but let's see. You know, you try. And sure. Progress, then you transfer. Man, when that baby was born vaginally, the only thing I didn't do was like jump up in the air. <laughs> you know, and language that I probably I, I was like, yes, take that. Yes. But inside I was saying, oh! <laughs> we got to have baby I knew you could do it. That's awesome. And then I will then maybe write a little note or make a phone call to, to that person who said they couldn't do it. That's so awesome. This is where I get a little bit, you know, alcohol. <laughs> in your face we did it that's oh, I love it I love it I love it um, of course of course they do but in your mind you're like yes no that's that's beautiful you were able to get it done and the mother had the birth that she wanted so that's awesome um, 
Of course. Well, like you said, that's all it's about is giving them the chance. That's it. You know, obviously, and it goes how you said with even your own birth. You didn't know you had, you know, been a midwife. So, yeah, you see people, you know, women having natural births. But you're like, well, I don't know what my journey is going to be. But it's just being open. That's the biggest thing is being open. And that's where I think the, the lines start getting a little um misconstrued is because we're not as open as we as we should be um what is your favorite indulgence what do you like to treat yourself to mm, uh, ice cream <laughs> awesome um what's your favorite book either past you know presence you know um just something that that you really enjoy that you know kind of that you left after reading it you're like wow it left an impact on you um or do you even have time much to read do you listen to audiobooks no i like books books i'm old me no i like (laughs) um i like books books too though yeah um I there's a book that the one that I'm, I'm reading one now and it's called Fourth Trimester mm-hmm. um, and I do read books that are not related to you know pregnancy and all that but the yeah. one I'm reading now is Fourth Trimester um, and I'm really enjoying it because she's really approaching it um, so fourth you know pregnancy yes trimester, so of course Fourth Trimester being that area where, where I'm really focused on in the postpartum yes. Um, and it just so clearly identifies um, sociologically the, 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 the changes the after, yeah. That area is, yes. Yeah, yeah it's fun. It's, it's funny, I didn't read the book, but going through my pregnancy, I think it was my doula who mentioned, or I had seen an article about that, and I had learned about the whole concept of the fourth trimester and that really helped me because I'm I come from the the old traditional like well if the baby cries you know put him down because if you hold him for too long he's gonna get spoiled and correct me if I'm wrong but the whole fourth trimester also shows like no you know it's okay to you know babies actually need that because they're like wait a minute (laughs) I'm still trying to figure it all out myself as well Yes, they, and it's important to give them that the comfort. Yes, makes them more secure and you know. Yeah. I'll have to check that book out too. I think that's another good um, topic to talk about because that goes along with, like you said, the whole postpartum as well. Not just the fourth trimester for the baby, but for the mom because she's, yeah. Um, What is, okay, so you just say low mommy moment, high mommy. What was your low, maybe like moment of the week where you were just like, you know what? You know, I just, you know, just didn't hit. Something just didn't hit. Um, well, it was when a client who I attended her birth. So her mom came to me and um, when she was in labor, where I worked, the first place that I worked at in Trinidad. So I attended her birth. Oh, wow. pregnant and coming to us. And she's due this month. And she sent an email to say that the closer she gets to her due date, the more nervous she's becoming and Aww. she thinks she wants to give birth with a doctor. Aww. Yeah. And I was really, you know, I really was quite taken aback 
Um, and, and I feel, I also feel that I didn't have enough time with her because she didn't come to her visits regularly the way she should and all of that. Mm-hmm. That was, yes, that didn't feel good. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. And maybe, who knows, you know, maybe something will change, but um, yeah. I also have complete faith that it, it's what it's supposed to be. Yes. If, you know, and if she's going to come to me here and be worried and uncomfortable absolutely and if that's what her journey and that's what she wants of respecting that wish for her yeah, and for me it's supporting whatever their decision is so i'm happy to continue to support her in whatever way but and, and she wouldn't even know that i was disappointed you know yeah um and so what was your high moment of the week Oh, that was this week. Yeah. Oh, you did say okay. Wow. Okay. Nice. Yes, you did say okay. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yes, I had. Um, I know that. So you know, my grandson. You know, grown it like seeing me for the first time in a couple of days. Oh. Yes, those are special. Um, I, I had a friend of mine telling me that her her son now I don't know he's like twelve thirteen and obviously Jace being two so she's like yeah he he must run and I'm like oh he runs to me the door open he's like mommy 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 and she's like yep one day that won't be and I'm like no I'm like I don't yeah. wanna hear that. <laughs> I'm like, no, he's always going to run to me. She's like, no. She's like, just prepare. She's like, I'll never forget the first day I walked in. I'm like, oh, well, for now, I'm just going to enjoy all the mommy, mommy, mommies and soak it all in. So let me let me have that moment. <laughs> um, well, Auntie Debbie, it's been or I should say Mrs. Deborah Lewis, it's been an honor um, having you. I feel like we could talk. There's so much more that's just so interesting just about the whole, you know, the whole um aspect of mid midwifery and really to dive into you know the differences there's documentaries i don't know if you've ever seen the documentary of the business of being born yes amazing i believe she did another one she came out with a part two um which i'd love to watch but it's been an honor having you on thank you so much um for sharing your journey as being a midwife and shedding light into what some of the misconceptions are and speaking your truth is there anything else that you have to say or anything that you want to leave with some last words I, I mean, thank you for having me and thank you for, for doing this. But mostly, I want to say thank you for the journey that you chose. Oh. Um, because if you remember, at the time, you didn't even really know that I was so fully involved. With no, I didn't. I had always respected that about you. I didn't know you let me, you know, Jaren was like, yeah, I didn't even realize that was, it was such a shock to me. How? I was so thrilled. I was so thrilled. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Mamas Know Best, We Got Something to Say podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and give a review on the platform you're listening on. Tune in next time to hear another fierce mama share her story. Continued blessings to you all for love and light.